Totally Football Show, Full Continental today. Barca at Levante get busted. Kovac at Bayern done and dusted. Fans in Verona leave us disgusted. And PSG at Dijon fail to cut the deficit and lose. We round up the big stories and preview the midweek Champions League action in this Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Wow, really looking forward to today's show. Ever so much to talk about and some really top continental talent to do it with. We've got Julian Laurence here. Hello, James. Hi, Jules. Who are you texting? No, I was emailing someone about Arsene Wenger. About Arsene Wenger? By yes. Munich? You're not I, texting Raf about that? No, Raf. I've got it in front of me. so James Hallcastle's here. Directly? So Don't is. Don't text me, say it straight to my face. <laughs> <laughs> so is Raphael Honigstein. And too. also, Alvaro Romeo. Hi, Alvaro. Hello, James. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. What, a, what an incredible week right across Europe. Big teams falling, managers getting fired. Uh, hence the discussion about Arsene Wenger going to Bayern Munich. Let's let's have a quick check on the on the big stories. I mean, there's a lot of Champions League to talk about, but let's begin, shall we, with the dramatic events in Munich, Rafa? Yeah, dramatic events because Bayern lost five one away to Frankfurt on Saturday. Boateng was sent off after nine minutes. Then Bayern collapsed completely, and I think the club were sort of tempted to give him a couple more games, Niko Kovac, Niko Kovac until the international break. But in a talk in the afternoon, he actually offered his resignation, at which point Bayern said, you know what, it's probably a good idea. He felt that the game was up. He'd lost a lot of backing. If there was any left in the dressing room, um, there was no secret that at board level, with the exception of um, Uli Hoeneß, the president, who's himself um, resigning or stepping down from his position in 10 days' time, there wasn't much... Um, patience left for him. All right, well, we're, we're here very shortly. Who Who's likely to be taking over, whether it is going to be Arsene Wenger rocking up there in Bavaria, but Bayern not the only big team to lose this weekend. In Spain, for example, Alvaro Real Madrid held nil-nil by Real Betis and Barcelona losing as well. Yes, they lost 3-1 against Levante and they are still topping the table, which uh, tells you that uh, La Liga at the minute doesn't have any any team that uh, is definitely like shining or collecting a lot of points. Uh, so that makes you think that uh, it's not how bad you are, but how bad you are in relation to the rest of right. your rivals. Right. So Real Madrid is not doing well, Atletico neither, Barcelona neither, but since none of them is running away with the title yet, every club seems to have some patience, mm -hmm. even though Ernesto Valverde is starting to get many critics, also Simeone for having mastered only two wins over the last couple of months. And Real Madrid cannot score, it's simple as that. The, they, had, they didn't score against Betis and they seem to, to be incapable of producing like a heavy, heavy score lines. Right, much more Spanish news to come. The big dramatic news in, in Ligue 1, Jules, meanwhile, was PSG. Their third defeat of the season, this time to bottom of the table, Dijon. Yes, and it was quite unexpected uh, on Friday night, although they just didn't turn up. They didn't really fancy it. It looked like they took the lead. Kylian Mbappé, who is that the, the continuation of that incredible start where the last 14 goals uh, of the team has been scored by either Icardi, Di Maria or, or Mbappé. Uh, so they're very reliant on those three. But yeah, they just... They just didn't want it and Dijon wanted it more and maybe they were already thinking about the Halloween party they had in Paris on Saturday night the oh whole right. squad yeah where they clearly seem to enjoy that more than the game at Dijon on Friday night Meanwhile in Italy James uh, the big clubs did win but there was a big defeat for the league in general with yet more racist behaviour from fans Yes aimed at uh, Mario Balotelli and I don't think there is any question of whether it happened or not which is exactly what the Hellas Verona president coach right and even the mayor of verona oh wow want you to think that balotelli was not abused in this game if you look at the video that has come out which was actually posted by a verona fan right as evidence that there was no racist abuse occurring and you can audibly hear the monkey chants so basically balotelli's long been a figure of hate or someone they've liked to wind up since his days playing for into when he was a teenager and it, there's been problems for him there. They've had problems with other black players before Frank Kessie of, of Milan earlier mm. this season. When he arrived there with Brescia 
This time around, the crowd were having a go. He lost his temper, was provoked enough to take the football and basically hoof it into the cordova at the fans and then made to leave the field. His teammates and the Verona teammates managed to convince him to stay on the field. The referee went through the kind of protocol of making an announcement to uh, the support, the home supporters and the game continued and Balotelli actually scored an absolute screamer against Verona. Brescia ended up losing 2-1, but still it was it was a nice way for him to respond and, and there's, there's been a lot of solidarity for him. But as you say, Verona themselves, the key people in all this, once again are saying, yeah, no, nothing happened here. Absolutely, and this is consistent with uh, what they did after the Kessie abuse early in the season where they put out a terrible tweet, uh, one of the worst gaffes you can ever see essentially saying we didn't hear any of this abuse obviously um, the players who suffered it were just stunned by the decibel level of the crowd at the Bentecodi and it's this refusal to acknowledge and accept responsibility uh, for what is going on which I think to some extent is reflective of a lot of Serie A in that clubs and their owners are often in bed with the ultras I think the only sign of encouragement I suppose is the amount of foreign ownership that there is in the league now and a lot of those foreign owners coming from the States where you know, if this were to happen in the NFL or the NBA, there'd be a commissioner, there'd be the president of the league who would essentially lead on this matter. And that isn't happening um, in Serie A. And so you have clubs like Fiorentina, Roma and Milan really wanting to change the situation and have actually, in Roma's case, enacted um, a kind of adaptation amendment of the rules where they can actually just independently of waiting for the police you know waiting for the league they can identify and then issue a banning order as we see often in this country when there is racist abuse but it's clear from Verona's words and their reaction um, to the Balotelli abuse which is incontrovertible that they are unwilling to take that action. All right, well, they're, they're pretty banged to rights this time, so we will wait to see what the Liga uh, does about them. We'll, mm. we'll touch on that and, of course, all the other Italian stories uh, later on. But after this, let's get cracking with a particularly bumper weekend of Bundesliga news. You're listening to The Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. That sounds like a cracking atmosphere. That was the Berlin Derby, Rafa, which you attended this weekend. I was, and it was um, it was really a lot of fun. Right, okay. Union. 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 They beat Hertha. They beat Hertha for the first time ever at home. Um, they hadn't played each other that often, of course, because the war got in the way right. uh, for many years. Uh, since it has come down, they were twice up against each other in, in Bundesliga 2. But this was the first ever derby at uh, top flight level and uh, it's interesting because the, the rivalry is somewhat manufactured because they actually used to get on really well when they were separated um, Hertha was the favourite Berlin club, West Berlin club of many East Berliners who wouldn't support any other uh, club in, in the GDR but sort of always looked across the wall and uh, secretly tuned into German television to follow the the fortunes of Hertha and went to travel and had to play somewhere where it was accessible for them in another communist state. And they kind of fraternized um, even when the war came down. But over the years, there was a comparison made to sort of someone you have a, a pan a pan friend relationship with that, you know, you write and write and it's lovely, but then you start meeting them and you're thinking, maybe they're not really uh, the great love of my life. That was... Um, one of the quotes from the uh, Union president. And now it's turned into sort of a real aggro-filled was it quite fe- hate fest. Was it quite feisty this weekend? It was quite, um, yeah, quite aggressive. There was riot police everywhere. Uh, there was a ultras march to the stadium from Union. There were lots of flares. There were missiles being fired deliberately into the crowd from the Hertha section. Oof. The game was nearly abandoned. Uh, one flare went down and landed at the feet as it happens, of the family of Sebastian Polter, who is one of the uh, Union players who came on... He scored, didn't he? ...to take the penalty. Mm, right. So 
his uh, two children and his um, girlfriend were nearly hit by one of those flares. He didn't know that at the time. But, um, yeah, he scored uh, a 90th minute penalty to give them the win. And it was history, history in the making. It was, um, despite all the sort of the trouble and the uh, and the violence and lots of hand-wringing in Germany, oh, you know, the ultras and the flares and all that stuff, it was actually really good, old-fashioned slightly sort of edgy fun like f- football used to be i mean remember football being like that in the 80s and proper naughty proper not proper <laughs> naughty but naughty ish and um it was amazing it was okay. an amazing experience and and fantastic result as you say for union for the first time ever to get that result in terms of historic events uh going back to Bayern Munich, i imagine that's pretty unprecedented for them to get rid of their manager what 10 11 games into the season not really, because Carlo, Carlo Ancelotti yeah, was before. Was, uh, was fired in October wow. in the second season. Klinsmann was fired in his first season All right. uh, in April. So not at all unprecedented. Um, not, <laughs> not unprecedented, but and, and this is what happened was that, you know, we've been talking about this before. Kovac went into the season already slightly damaged because of what happened before, because his... Um, his work hadn't really ticked enough boxes for Bayern. You know, they wanted someone with a footballing identity. They wanted someone who can really improve players, to help the players. And uh, he had a fairly basic approach to football. There was a lot of emphasis on defensive positioning, on effort, on moving, on uh, on fighting, on togetherness. But uh, there was no underlying bigger idea. And very quickly, I think, a team that was still exposed you know, by a big percentage to Guardiola, um, or to Nagelsmann in some instances, or to uh, Diego Simeone when it comes to Lucas Hernandez, or, or Jurgen Klopp in case of Coutinho, they expect more from a coach. And he, he basically lost the dressing room uh, a while ago, and the results papered over what wasn't just cracks, but actually a huge sort of gaping chasm that had opened up between him and the team. Them losing this weekend 5-1 against Eintracht Frankfurt, is there any suggestion that that was the team actually going... Let's just get rid of this manager. I don't think it, it's that bad. But I think subconsciously, if you don't believe in, in your boss, then maybe you just behave slightly differently. Um, right. Maybe you run a little bit less for your teammates. Maybe you think, you know, this is, you go into games with a sort of defeatist attitude that this is not going to work anyway. You know, he, again, doesn't really, doesn't really help us. Or why is he... Uh, telling us off that I mean he's made a lot of mistakes but the biggest one over the last few weeks was basically to blame the team you know gone was the we didn't play well it was all about well they played really badly I, right. I told them what to do but unfortunately they once again failed to follow my instructions mm. at that point you're basically toast didn't he say before the game against Frankfurt that Frankfurt had the best fans in the country or something? I mean, yeah. his communication from the beginning had been pretty poor, right? Yeah. The thing about those big jobs is that all of a sudden Every press conference you do, pre and post match, is scrutinized, analyzed, which it's wouldn't like have Gian been Paolo the case for, Milan, for Exactly. And these people get shown up. Uh, and such a big part of those jobs is how you present yeah. uh, communication. And he was lacking. The irony was that he was perceived when he took over the job as someone who is very good when it comes to speaking to the players and also projecting this, this calm image. But he made so many, so many mistakes, so many needless own goals verbally that um, a problem then was exacerbated by his his inability to, to sell his story effectively. Right. He also got quite a few things right. He presided over a League and Cup double, won 45 of his 65 games in charge, was also in charge of a, a renaissance of Robert Lewandowski's uh, goal-scoring stats. Uh, is there any suggestion that maybe things are, are not going to be wonderfully successful with him out? I mean, who's going to take over, do you think? Well, there's a, a number of candidates in the running. Um, Bayern have to now see who is available right now because mm. they don't necessarily want to give it to Hansi Flick, the assistant coach, until uh, the end of the season. That would be quite a long time for a caretaker manager. Also because they've got the Classica coming up this weekend, no? Yeah, I don't think anyone will be in charge by then. Um, the international break is the time when... Um, I mean, anyone in a, in a full-time position... Right, yeah. At the international break is the time where they will use to really sit down and, and see, for example, whether Ten Hag will be available now or only in January or only in the summer uh, and what conditions. Uh, Raf Rangnick, who is available right now, you know, does he agree to work in this Bayern construct where you'll have Salihamidzic? Uh, having Wenger, his, who is available? 
Arsene Wenger, who is available and who has been mentioned by some of my colleagues in Munich, who, whose name I haven't heard being mentioned. What about what about that other manager who's also available right now? Who Have you heard his name being mentioned, Jose Mourinho? I thought you meant Sven. Jose's <laughs> <laughs> um, name has not been mentioned. No? No. Okay. no. Um, Allegri's name is still being mentioned, but I think there is a there's probably a sense that he would constitute a gamble, not because of his managerial um, ability being in question whatsoever, but uh, again, the whole scenario with the foreign manager, with a foreign backroom staff, in a new league, with no German, that this would create too many problems uh, to to solve. And Bayern's preferred solution is, of course, to, to have a German speaker. And Arsene Wenger's German is, of course, very good. Rafael, I wonder... What the crossbar is at Bayern Munich for a manager? Because Ancelotti lasted 13, 14 months. Same thing applies to Niko Kovac as well. What is expected from a manager at Bayern? Because obviously the titles are there. Niko Kovac got some titles too. I mean, winning the league by itself is, is not quite enough. It saved Kovac from getting fired. Uh, winning the cup saved him then a second time because I think even if he'd lost the final in Berlin against Leipzig, I think Rummenigge at least, would have been quite happy to pull the trigger then. So that is the minimum criteria almost. You know, you win domestically. Then the big challenge is taking a team that doesn't necessarily have the superstars. They've never had superstars in the Messi or Ronaldo bracket over the last 10 years. But as a team, collectively, they've been one of the best sides because they've had really, really good managers who kind of lift everybody. Um, and that is the real challenge. So it's not just about you know winning in the Bundesliga and, and Bayern's Bundesliga win was very underwhelming last year in, in points-wise but also performance-wise, but actually taking Bayern back closer to the very top in European elite. And there was a sense that Kovac might grow into this, that with a new team, new players coming in, a new defence, he would rise to the challenge this year, learn from some of the mistakes and become a better manager and make that next step. But actually, it's gone backwards. So at that point, Bayern just felt we can't lose another six months with a guy that is not going anywhere. Hansi Flick taking charge this midweek as Bayern hosts Olympiakos in the Champions League. Bayern looking very comfortable on top of that group. Five points clear of Spurs. They have the Classica coming up at the weekend. It's so tight right now. Borussia Mönchengladbach, three points clear on top. The next eight teams in the Bundesliga, all within two points of each other. Amongst them, another side who are going to be in Champions League action, Leipzig, who had an 8-0 win this weekend against Mainz. That's right, James. And this is on the back of a 6-1 win in the Cup away to Wolfsburg in midweek. So they have really started to take all these chances that perhaps they've been missing in the last couple of weeks. You know, we've been talking about Leipzig stuttering and not quite living up to the the pre-season hype with Nagelsmann and Werner and so on. But now they've they've exploded into uh, a rich vein of form. Werner himself getting a double hat-trick, three goals and three assists in this game game against uh, Mainz. It's all just gelling and uh, they're looking like the side that we all expected or perhaps hoped for as neutrals you know when it comes to really challenging the top two you know since Opta in 06 07 get all the data from all the the five big leagues only one player has done better than Werner in all of Europe and that is Luis Suarez who scored four goals and assisted three times against Deportivo in 2016 when he was slim and good (laughs) insane insane well how do you feel then if you're Zenit St Petersburg who in a really tight Champions League group are now going to be hosting Leipzig this midweek I think you feel a little bit frightened because you have to really go for it, um, having lost the game in Leipzig, albeit narrowly. Uh, they took the lead and then uh, Leipzig came back strongly in the second half. Um, just counter-attacking football, which is sort of in Leipzig's DNA, going back to the Ralf Rangnick years, is now at full flight once more mm. uh, with um, Werner taking up these sort of inside left positions, a little bit like a like Thierry Henry used mm. to be, um, you know, like a wide striker always cutting in. So it's... it's um, it looks very good for Leipzig and very difficult as far as Zenit is concerned. Zenit are in some form of their own right now. They're still top of the, the Russian Premier League, although they did draw it home to CSK on Saturday. If only there was some way to know what their tactics are going to be. <laughs> I don't know, did, did you see <laughs> the one Ivanovic. Ivanovic on the uh, on the bench there explaining to his teammate yeah. how the team should set up and that he's, he's up on the big screen. Anyway, well, that's one of the, the games from a really delicately poised group. Leon also facing Benfica. We'll chat about that game later. All right, so the Classica with Dortmund coming up for Bayern Munich at the weekend and Dortmund facing a really big game in Europe 
against Inter. We'll be talking about that after this. Hmm. It seems as though Serie A is a bit of a dumping ground these days, doesn't it? Where all the Premier League's footballing flops are sent to get them off the wage bill. It's literally a weekly reminder for Man United of all their very expensive mistakes. But thankfully, with Paddy Power's money-back specials, not all your mistakes cost you as much. Get money back as a free bet on football every week. See on site for the latest. Paddy Power, home of the money-back special. Selected markets only. T's and C's apply. 18 plus. BeGambleAware.org. On Spotify, smart speaker and podcast platforms everywhere, this is the Totally Football Show from Muddy Knees Media. Hey, James, you excited by Inter's trip to Borussia Dortmund? Yeah, I think it's a Champions League classic. I'm mm. curious to see what Dortmund's reaction to the game in the last round was. Right. because when they were toothless. Yes, and Inter were much Ruthless. better. Ruthless. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. They might also have Stefano Sensi back mm. uh, as well, since he's been missing um, since the last international break. And they have, I wouldn't say struggled without him because... Uh, I think over the last week, they've had to come up with alternative solutions. And whereas the first kind of half of this third of the season so far was about Inter getting goals from midfield, it's since been about them getting goals from this strike partnership of Lukaku and Lautaro Martinez. And both of them were, again, very good at the weekend uh, in Bologna. Difficult game. Um, and um, Lautaro he had a shot which... The goalkeeper saved, Lukaku puts in on the rebound and he wins the penalty that ultimately wins them the game. Um, into coming back from behind in that in the final 15 minutes. Uh, and Lukaku with nine goals in 11 games now. And I think over the last the week... Best start by anybody at the club since Ronaldo in 1997. The original Ronaldo, mm. um, which is, is really saying something. I, I think he, in the last week, has shown the best of himself in intercolours um, because... They have had a lot of injuries, as Antonio Conte keeps complaining about. Um, yeah, there's already this kind of expectation management going on, which is, oh, maybe we can't challenge this year, which clearly they want to challenge this year. Um, they're looking to January for new signings. But, yeah, I think one of the reasons for that is because they kind of struggled in a, in a few of their league games, um, particularly the one against Brescia. And again, you see Lukaku come up big in that game and score when Brescia were on top and Brescia looked like they were going to get something out of that game. And again, here in Bologna, I thought Bologna actually did pretty well without maybe doing enough to win the game. Um, but the game was certainly in the balance and uh, Lukaku ultimately came up big uh, once more. And they go into this game, obviously, um, still, I think, needing to get something out of it just because of the way they started. Uh, results-wise in this group with um, with only a point from their, their first six. Well, they had to win the last meeting, and they did, 2-0. What kind of rebirth, though, have we seen from, from Dortmund this weekend? Rebirth might be putting it a bit too strongly, but they've certainly shown a good reaction since that uh, really terrible show at, at Inter. Uh, they beat Gladbach in the, in the cup. Uh, it was a very difficult game, but they, um, they, they played really well, or, or reasonably well. And uh, there was very solid performance in a 3-0 win over Wolfsburg at the weekend. And you could just see that either Favre or the team, or maybe a combination of both, have decided, you know, we just can't play this really beautiful passing football without anyone going into the box at any given time. So now they've become a little bit more attacking, they've put more people in dangerous positions, and they looked a lot more convincing when it, comes to their attempt, when it came to their attempts to create stuff. Barcelona leading this group, three points clear of these two sides, Dortmund and Inter. So this is an absolutely key game to determine who goes through. Barcelona, meanwhile, are going to be hosting Slavia Prague, whom they just about squeaked past in Prague two weeks ago. They were far better than Barcelona. It's miraculous that Barcelona has seven points in this group because they deserve to get a heavy defeat in Dortmund. And Inter Milan was far better than them in the first half at Camp Nou. But yeah, Barcelona is getting to this game with plenty of problems mm. on their plate. Uh, there are so many things happening at the same time that uh, it's very difficult to have a diagnosis of, on what's happening, actually, with uh, a manager that doesn't seem to believe uh, on the new players a lot. He's still uh, putting in the lineup some players who are clearly not uh, uh, performing 
for instance, Gerard Pique this season, he's not playing well. He's got already six or seven yellows, mm. and the, the league is just started. Tres Stegen, after the game against Slavia Prague, said that some changes needed to be to be done, or some improvements uh, were needed, but uh, who is going to trigger this improvement? A manager who doesn't seem to have the authority to do it, a sporting director that we don't know if he's good or not, because uh, we don't know who he is, or a team that is divided between the the ones that have won everything, the likes of Messi, Suarez, Pique, you name them, and uh, the new players who are eager to do a great job at Barcelona, but at the same time, they don't know how, or they don't know how they can, uh, you know, uh, throw the door, uh, just slam the door and uh, make a statement saying, we are as important as you were. So I think that this game is against Slavia Prague can be difficult for Barcelona. Of course, it happens a lot at Camp Nou that Barcelona wins mm. 4-0, 5-0. They did it against Valladolid last Wednesday, but Slavia Prague are a really good team. And uh, two weeks ago, they were nearly, nearly beating Barcelona. So I think that uh, Barcelona, if they play in the same way that they've been playing lately, uh, scoring a goal and then not having any eagerness to score a second one and therefore allowing the opponent to, to come back, if they play like that with no eagerness whatsoever, uh, eagerness to hear the final whistle but not scoring the second goal, Slavia Prague is going to put them in trouble. Luis Suarez is not playing, I forgot to say, and uh, this may put uh, Antoine Griezmann in the position he likes to play, hmm. uh, which I believe is... Uh, kind of a false nine position in which uh, he managed to do very well for Atletico de Madrid and for France in Euro 2016. Okay. As for the other game in that group, then what do you boys think? Dortmund-Inter. Who have you got, James? Well, Inter do look tired um, at this moment in time, but I think they are going to get players back. And um, as I mentioned, with Sensi, um, he just adds another level of sophistication to Inter's passing game. Um, I should also add that the player that they signed from Hertha Berlin in the summer, uh, Valentino Lazzaro, he uh, made his first start at the weekend. And the only other kind of appearance we'd seen from him was when he came on against Sassuolo, when they were 4-1 up and all of a sudden it became 4-3. And that was because he just didn't look comfortable um, and Sassuolo kept getting at him. He was much better against Bologna. He was involved in a lot of the good things that Inter did. I think Inter, if you look at their away form in the league, James, I mean, it's been sensational. Six wins out of six, perfect record so far. They're a team that looks comfortable defending, as you always imagine Conte sides to be, and they have an ability to get out. And I think this is something that is often underestimated about Conte is how much detail he goes into when it comes to getting his teams to elude the press or get through the press and get his strikers in particular to uh, connect and, uh, and be in sync. And so I think, yeah, they'll go to Dortmund believing they can get a result. Yeah, and, and Dortmund, I think, go into the game knowing that Inter are so dangerous, Inter are very efficient. Um, they were the exact opposite of Dortmund. They had very little of the ball, but... Can I just say, it's so funny hearing you say those words and thinking this is you know, Inter being efficient and dangerous. It's... Just kind he's of changed. He's yeah. changed the definition of what Inter is. <laughs> really, but that's yeah. you know that's what a good manager can do. He can transform a well, transform a side. And Dortmund, I think, will have more belief now, having shown themselves that you know if we just play with a bit more risk, we can actually create real problems for any opposition, even against deep lying sides. But we need to be able to commit men forward and then just expend a bit more effort into our game. We can't just rely on the passing and hope that something will some sort of magically open up. And I think they'll put more pressure on the Inter than they, than they did at the San Siro where they mm. created absolutely nothing. Mm. I think just to pick up on what James was saying, uh, after the game on, on Saturday, Conte was asked by Alessandro Del Piero, who's a pundit in the TV studio, saying, you know, why did you take this job? You know, isn't it an impossible mission? Uh, being intercoach these days or just winning in Milan. And I, I suppose if you put the entire context of Inter and Milan at this moment in time and what they've been in the last decade, you can completely understand why people look at it like that. Um, and, you know, he has convinced people that they can go to the big teams and get results and challenge for silverware, which is something that was always... Yeah, even when they went on really good winning streaks under Spalletti or Mancini, you never really felt that when the going got tough, Inter would stand up, be counted and get something, whereas now that has completely changed. 
Wow. Well, we'll see this midweek. Loads of other big games on the way and loads of other news and stories from around the continent. We've got to Chelsea's clash with Ajax after this. You're listening to the Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Chelsea hosting Ajax on Tuesday. Chelsea fresh from eight wins in their last nine, just that defeat to Man United in the League Cup. But on Tuesday, taking on an Ajax team who've only had one defeat in their 20 matches this season, which was, of course, that 1-0 loss to Chelsea in Amsterdam last time out. Joining us now on the line from a train somewhere in the Netherlands is Mikhail Jongsmer. Hi, Mikhail. Good afternoon, James. Good afternoon to you. Mikhail, first off, what was the reaction last time from Ajax uh, and, and the press to that, that first defeat of the season? I think uh, most people were slightly surprised about how well Chelsea actually did uh, and slightly underwhelmed by Ajax as well. Um, I think it's quite quite odd how that whole dynamic has shifted given that they were basically plucky underdogs for almost all European games last season. Uh, whereas this season they seem to be, uh, well, uh, runaway favourites. But um, yeah, it, it was a, a bit of a shock, I guess. But I don't think uh, most people are too worried about uh, Ajax progress so far this season because they have been quite potent in, in general. Absolutely. Tied on top of the group now with Chelsea with six points, two points clear of Valencia. Is there a lot of confidence that they can turn that result around at Stamford Bridge? I mean, the big question at the moment is what the setup will be because they they have looked a bit uh, shaky at the back. They generally play with two uh, holding midfielders who are basically defenders and Martinez and Alvarez, and especially the latter has been coming in for quite some criticism. So you might actually see a more attacking Ajax side uh, coming out with David Neres expected to start as well. Uh, so it could really be a very exciting game this time out. Michael, I was just wondering what the latest is as far as Eric Ten Hag's position is concerned because there's a lot of talk in Munich that he is really uh, among the, the preferred candidates. Is it possible, as Mark Overmars perhaps hinted the other day, that they would release him as early as this this month or is any move only a possibility in January or in the summer? Well, if if the club in question would have been Barcelona, Manchester City, Juventus, you name it, it would have probably not been a story at all because Ajax seemed quite keen to keep a hold of him, uh, at least for now. But Bayern Munich, as, as you point out, is a bit of a different story, especially given his history there uh, with the second team. I don't think that they will uh, release him at this point, although uh, Ajax have been boosted by having a pretty good run in the Eredivisie. Uh, so the the title, I mean, it's not clinched already, but they're six points clear of AZ and eight points clear of face face. So they might feel confident that they can see it out with another manager as well. Uh, but all in all, I think they'll they'll do everything in their power to keep a hold of him because even though they still have a lot of star players, he at the moment is probably their uh, hottest property. Wow. I mean, they've done so well to kind of assimilate such big-name departures in the past, but to lose Den Haag would be... be, be uh... Uh, you think a huge blow, unless you think there's somebody else who's ready to step in in, in, in the case of problems? Van Gaal? <laughs> Van Gaal would actually be a, a fairly sensible choice, but I can imagine Overmars and Van der Sar not being too happy by, uh, well, having been bossed around by Van Gaal for so many years, now having to boss him around. I'm not sure if that dynamic would work. And obviously with... Uh, with Dick Advocat now in another job, there, there's no uh, other experienced interim to find uh, in the Netherlands as well. So it's really difficult to see who is the most promising uh, manager capable of taking on such a big task. I mean, Arne Slot of AZ is, is a name that quickly comes to mind because he's doing really well with, with AZ in second. But I mean, surely just a few months as a professional head coach and the that comes too soon. Mikhail, you mentioned the fact that Dick Avocat's now working elsewhere. He's taken over at final from Yap Stam, so that that didn't work out for Yap. Yeah, Yap Stam has been quite a quite a sad story, really. Uh, Feyenoord actually had Dick Avocat as their first choice uh, to succeed Van Bronckhorst this summer, but uh, when those rumors started to swirl in February, uh, the sentiment was really negative because Avocat is, is quite old already; he's seventy-two. And he felt, well, if, if the fans don't want me there, I don't want to be there either. So he called off Feyenoord, even though they basically already had agreed a deal. 
but now things are completely different. Yavstam has has been um, slightly unlucky in, in in some aspects, but not good enough in in many as well. Uh, and now Dick Asfakad was the, the the dreamt successor, basically in uh, in place to uh, to to steady the ship, and that's exactly what he's done. You can already feel that. The players are really taking to him well. They're really complimentary. And it, their first, his first game in charge was against FFA, who themselves haven't been good uh, recently, even though Lee Caramo is doing his best. Uh, and uh, Feiner actually got a quite a quite an easy victory there, a 3-0 win. And uh, next week they're playing Erika Seyvalvek, who are in that last. So, I mean, everything is, is, is looking up for, for Dick, basically. Right, a magnificent way to start against his former Sunderland charge, Lee Catamore with VVV. Brilliant stuff. Mikhail, thank you so much for being with us. Uh, enjoy the rest of your train journey and good luck at Stamford Bridge. <laughs> thank you. Will do. That's the 24th managerial role of uh, Dick Advocat's career. Surprisingly, he never managed Feyenoord before. Chos. No, no. Okay. What, what do Good you think about uh, Chelsea Ajax? Um, I, I was a bit disappointed by Ajax in the first game. I thought they yeah. ran a bit of idea. They were very unlucky with the Quincy Promise goal, obviously disallowed, and then and then Chelsea coming really strong, you know, towards the end of the game. But I was a bit disappointed by what they could offer and the, the lack of ideas. At some point, it looked like they ran a bit of out of idea on like, okay, how to break down this Chelsea team that was well organised and, and showed a lot of maturity, I think. And I, I agree with his point about Martinez and Alvarez as well. They obviously like creativity because that's not, that's not what they're used to. And I think against certain teams, it can cause problems and hence the lack of idea they had, I think, in that game against Chelsea. So I wouldn't be surprised if, if Ten Hag changes a little bit his tactics and his uh, formation. Maybe we have to be disappointed with Ajax, but what Chelsea did uh, at uh, Johan Cruyff Arena was really spectacular. Mm -hmm. And I think that it is the breakthrough uh, game of Frank Lampard at Chelsea. That one, when he got a victory that very few expected. And Chelsea, at the minute, tops the table in that championship group. And they lost against Valencia. Barkley missed the penalty, and Valencia didn't play better than Chelsea at all. So Chelsea is doing really well, considering that uh, they've got a new manager with plenty of youth. With better finishing, Chelsea could have actually beaten Ajax by a greater margin mm. and put that game to bed earlier because Hudson Odoi, in particular, Mason Mount missed some really good chances in the first half. So I think, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what reaction Ajax can give in this game. What about Spurs and their journey to Red Star in Belgrade? Spurs, who pretty much the only game they've won of late was that massive victory over Red Star at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, but Bill Gray at the Maracanã is going to be a different kettle of fish, Jules. Yeah, massively. And we remember last season Liverpool losing there and just, just being completely outplayed by, by this Red Star team. So it would be different atmosphere, completely different um, kind of game as well because it was far too easy for Spurs at home against Red Star who just didn't put a fight at all. I think they will be, especially after being humiliated 5-0 away, we'll be, we want a revenge, I think, this midweek and it, it could be, well, it will be far much harder, I think, for Spurs to get anything in a game that they, they really have to get something. A draw would be enough to keep Spurs in second place in the group behind Bayern Munich, but uh, Red Star only a point behind them, so it's a delicate fixture. I wonder if Harry Kane is going to be back because he missed the Everton game. And Lucas Moura and Son up front didn't look particularly great, especially Lucas Moura. Some said last season that the uh, Spurs were better without Harry Kane, but uh, what we saw at Goodison Park this weekend proved that uh, that is not the case this season. All right, Red Star have won nine of their last ten matches in all competitions, the one exception being that uh, defeat at Spurs, which was admittedly 5-0, which will bolster... Uh, Tottenham's morale a certain amount but a delicate game that's coming up on Wednesday after this let's tackle some of the big stories in the Liga You're listening to the Totally Football Show with James Richardson And then Janusen juega el balón para Porto Porto en el área Porto remata Porto que va a marcar marca la Real en el 88 Andan Janusen Alvaro so Barcelona didn't win, Atletico didn't win, Granada didn't win after Real Sociedad took a taxi uh, and beat them there. What, what, what was that about? 
Well, the story, it's very simple to, to explain, really. Real Sociedad traveled or wanted to, to fly to Granada, right. and uh, it was impossible for weather reasons, so uh, they ended up landing in Malaga with plenty of time. Okay. And uh, the club tried to rent a bus to go from uh, Malaga to Granada, which is around two hours trip, more or less. There were no buses uh, left, or the club just couldn't manage to, to find any bus, and they, they got 11 taxis. They did a Nile Quinn. That's remarkable. <laughs> what was the fare? The fare was uh, 204 euros. Ah. 204 euros. Uh, Real Sociedad apparently gave a six uh, euro tip for each uh, cup ride, so mm -hmm. 210 in total. And uh, they arrived to um, at, Mala, at, Gra at Granada sorry, with plenty of time. Uh, good for them because the game was played at uh, 8.45 p.m. Spanish time and they arrived at... Uh, Granada around 3.45, so right. no no problem for uh, for Real Sociedad, obviously, but uh, it was the funniest story of the weekend, yes. Anyway, they didn't win, and neither did Barcelona, as we heard before, and Real Madrid only drew nil-nil at home. Oh, sorry, were they at Real Betis? No, at Bernabeu. At, at Bernabeu. Wow, okay. Eden Hazard scored what looked like a very nice goal, but that was called back. Yes. And what else did they come up with? Well, uh, Real Madrid had nine shots on target, mm -hmm. uh, on target, but they didn't score a goal. And I was uh, checking these stats by Opta, which are quite interesting. Uh, Real Madrid this season has scored uh, 24 goals from 209 shots, mm -hmm. which is their worst average in the decade, followed by last season's average. So basically, when Cristiano Ronaldo left, the scoring ability of Cristiano of uh, Real Madrid has gone down really badly. I, I understand that they plan to resolve these scoring problems by buying in uh, Raheem St Sterling from Manchester City. Yeah, this is something that the Sky has uh, published. Right. Um, I haven't seen that published in any any Spanish uh, diary for the time being. Neither mm -hmm. Marca, neither AES, uh, which are the newspapers normally that break news about Real Madrid, haven't mentioned this. Does that suggest to you that it's the fruit of someone's fantasy? Not necessarily. Not necessarily. Of course, uh, Real Madrid is going to offload a couple of players, uh, right. two of them being... I guess that Gareth Bale and Hammer Rodriguez at some point. Uh -huh. And it was funny because uh, this weekend, uh, Hammer Rodriguez and Gareth Bale left Santiago Bernabeu in the 80th minute of the game uh, against Betis. The club allows that to the players so they can leave, so they avoid the uh, traffic, uh, traffic congestions, uh, leaving the stadium. What? But at the same, yes, Real Madrid allows that apparently, but normally this is something that players don't do, especially when Real Madrid hasn't wrapped up the result yet. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. So Gareth Bale and Hammer Rodriguez and Mariano uh, left Santiago Bernabeu before the game was over. That's quite extraordinary. Do you think that Manchester City and Chiqui Bergerstein would be at all interested in, in sending Raheem Sterling to Real Madrid in exchange for Gareth Bale and some money? Everyone has a price, but I really don't think so. I really don't think so because Gareth Bale doesn't have uh, a reliability record. In, right. the, in the terms that he's been missing plenty of games uh, over the last five years. Okay, so Real Madrid have Champions League action. They are taking on Galatasaray. Yes, they are. Um, Galatasaray won this weekend, but they they are having their worst start uh, to a season under Fatih Terim. Mm. And Real Madrid needs to win because they've got only four points after three games. And, uh, of course, uh, a victory would be really important to Get seven and then look at the game against PSG right. with a different attitude. They're only two points clear of Bruges. Who are Bruges facing, Jules? PSG. PSG. Will we see the PSG ultras or not? I don't know. Will this we is not? the big thing. No, oh. we've got a lot of problems with ultras and French clubs at the moment. At Nice, they were not happy and showed uh, like critical banners towards the, the players at Bordeaux. They are at war with the club and they want um, the CEO resigning. So they didn't... Didn't do anything for the first 10 minutes and then start cracking up flares and everything and put real atmosphere in here. We've seen problems at Lyon as well with mm. the, the ultras and Marcelo, the centre-back, uh, exchanging insults. And then after the Benfica game, and then this weekend he got to another level when uh, the ultras insulted Marian, uh, Marcelo sorry, and his family for the whole game pretty much to the point that he can't actually play against Benfica. Far too risky for Rudy Garcia. Yeah, it's really that bad. Why, do, why are they so upset with Marcelo? So after the Benfica game, when, when Lyon, remember, lost 2-1 yeah, with yeah. a big mistake from the goalkeeper, uh, the ultras waited for the team at the, the Lisbon airport. And on the way to the plane, Marcelo had, a, had an incident, an altercation with some of the ultras. They insulted each other, almost had a fight. And the, the ultras uh, haven't for, forgiven him for it. So now he's... He's really the one that they're targeting all the time. Him, his family, some of his performances, obviously. And it got so bad that Garcia is against the idea of playing him at home on wow. in midweek because of that, because 
the Hammersfield so hostile around him. It's so such a crucial game as well for it them. It is huge uh, for, for them. And at least they wanted the weekend, like you right. said, which they really needed. They didn't play that well. And Memphis Depay, who was the saviour again, scored very late against Toulouse, a great individual goal to win the game. Mm. But they need to play better against Benfica midweek if they want to win that game. All right, well, we'll come on to some legal news in, in a second. Just to wrap things up from La Liga, quick word on the genius that it's Alberto Moreno redefining the art of clearing. Yeah, uh, with a crazy bicycle kick. He looked like yeah, a, it's actually a handstand. I think he he does. He's, yeah. he's he's completely upside down, but supporting himself with his hands and and kicks the ball. I mean, it's a very effective this clearance. This is genius because yeah. he, he's watching the ball before he then executes the the handstand. The reaction, uh, yeah, the reaction to it. Otherwise, the guy is through on goal as well. So he deserves really important. a big club. I think he could go and play for <laughs> Liverpool. One. Yeah, that's a good idea. Villarreal yeah. yeah. are a big club. Villarreal are all right, and they are benefiting from having Alberto Moreno. Right. But this uh, mix of breakdowns and uh, being po- <laughs> being possessed by by uh, a spirit right. movement, it's a very weird clearance. Yes, as, as they say, it's not football; it's La Liga. Mm. <laughs> all right, let's talk about Ligue 1 after this. Jules, I don't feel we've spent enough time talking about PSG losing to bottom of the table Dijon on Friday night. It was a horror show. Well, how did it, it happen? Bad. I mean, they took the lead. They, they never really looked into being into the game. They were beaten on every challenges, every second balls. They just Dijon wanted it more than them. They mm. were really up for it and the crowd was up for it as well. And I think they sensed very quickly, despite Mbappé scoring early, uh, they sensed very quickly that they could do something to this PSG team that one had a lot of players missing, right. to be fair. Uh, and someone like Marquinhos, who now he's more of a, of a centre midfielder than, than a centre-back, was all over the place at the back. Keylor Navas looked like he was on a bad day as well. So... I mean, for a win like this to happen, Dijon had to really be over the best, if you want, and all players being up for it and not making any mistakes and having a bit of luck, which they did. And on the other hand, PSG 2 not being really into the game and make mistakes individually, like Keylor Navas did, for example, and, and also not having the focus that they usually have. Yeah, it's Liga, they don't care. There's still seven points clear. Yeah, yeah, I really believe that. And No, but to be fair, I think... Yeah. We you know, saw, we've seen this before. I remember them say, you saying this before. The Liga, like Ibra saying, it's hard to even, you know, find any motivation. Yeah. Yeah. And, and also, I think, it, you know, the, the focus very quickly shifts onto the Champions League anyway right. for them. Now, that's, that's the main objective, doing, trying to do for once a good campaign in the, in the Champions League. And I think, although it's the first time that they, they lose three in the first mm. 12 games since 2010, I think. So and they're still seven points still clear. Seven points it's clear. remarkable. On, on Angers as well. If, you know, if it was yeah. a bigger team behind them, you think, okay. <laughs> but, so you've got no. seven-point gap down to Angers, and then Angers are part of a group of eight teams who are just two points apart. A lot of leagues seem to be like this right now. In that group of eight teams, you've got André Villas-Boas' Marseille, who had a 2-1 win over Lille. Also Saint-Étienne, who are eighth. They beat Monaco on Sunday night. A little bit further down, you get down to Lyon in 10th place. And as we mentioned, a huge game for them against uh, Benfica and their attempts to uh, secure a qualifying spot from their Champions League group. At the moment, you've got uh, RB Leipzig on six points, then Zenit and uh, Olympic Lyon on four, and then Benfica only a point behind them. And you mentioned Memphis Depay. What a magnificent winning goal it was from him. Le ballon pour Memphis qui va y aller en solo. Memphis une fois, deux fois Et au bout du temps additionnel, c'est l'homme providentiel He has been really good. It's always the same debate on should you play for him or should he you know, basically build your team around him, you know, putting in the, him in the best position because he's capable clearly of moments of brilliance like that that no one else in that squad can do. Or do you need him to be a bit more collective and a bit more part of the team if you want? And I think in the last two games, especially, he has been their best. I don't know where they would be without him this season, really. He's been that good. And yeah, okay, sometimes he disappears and sometimes he is a bit selfish and he should pass the ball a bit more and he should maybe behave a bit differently and not wear Louis Vuitton holders like he did on French television last weekend. But he's still an incredible talent, you know, and I think that would be crazy not to build a team around him. And I think Garcia has understood it. And this game is big, especially because of the points they dropped against Benfica through that incredible Anthony Lopez blunder. And this is a huge game, as you said, for them at home as well, with the, the next two games coming, to make a to make move towards qualification. Jules, I must stop you. Rafa's woken up. Rafa. Oh, God. 
<laughs> That's harsh. That is harsh. I like to let others shine, you know. I don't have to always get involved. He's not a team player. I'm not suffering from... He's the Memphis I'm not suffering from low confidence that I feel I always need to... It's more you listening to the others more than letting them No, but I just wanted to to ask Jules if... If a different top, let's say, with a massive Givenchy logo, <laughs> something would have been would have been better. Listeners, that is what Julienne is wearing at this There's moment in time. What's wrong with a Givenchy top? I mean, right. hoodie. I don't think there is. Okay. <laughs> You're having a go at. Jules um, is in a glass house on, and he's on. throwing <laughs> stones. Yeah. There's a difference set. between a Givenchy hoodie and a Louis Vuitton holder like Memphis. Uh, there is a lot of difference. There is a lot of difference. So, Jules, how confident are you that Leon, with Marcelo not available because of the fans, with the fans kicking off, with the goalkeeper suffering a bit of a crisis, with yeah. Rudy Garcia? being the manager how worried are you that Leon can get through this crucial game against Benfica I really you know I really think this is the game to watch because the whole build up has just been so incredible that I think there will be a lot of things happening in this game in the stands and, and also on the pitch with Benfica now top of the table in, in Portugal by the way which was not the case when they played the, the reverse fixture back in Lisbon so full of confidence uh, Pizzi is back as well for them and then you know a lot of things could depend on, on, on that game obviously depending on what's happening between Zenit and, and uh, RB Leipzig. So, huge game for Lyon. Yeah. Probably the, the most important one for them this season and for Rudy Garcia, of course. Well, the Leipzig game actually kicks off early. So, yeah. by the time that we come to the, the Lyon-Benfica game, we'll know just how precarious their position is. Of course, you can follow all of this on the Gold Show on BT Sport. Right, what else happened in City out this weekend? Well, first of all, we mentioned way back at the start Verona's 2-1 win over Brescia, which hit the headlines because of the racist abuse of Mario Balotelli. It also subsequently saw Brescia fire their manager, Eugenio Corini, in what seems a little bit of a harsh decision, no? I mean, they're, they're Brescia and they're not in the relegation zone. What's not to like? Yeah, he got them up. Um, a lot of other managers have tried and failed um, to do that. His team plays good football, diamond in midfield. He's kind of helped um, Sandro Tonali. Uh, realise his kind of potential and uh, I think was a factor in Tonali deciding to stay as well at Brescia and also you know Balotelli um, late last night uh, also issued a uh, well, put out an Instagram post saying you know it's not he's not just a, a very good coach but he's a great guy as well mm. and they've played a lot of the top sides and they've they've all been really close games particularly um, against Inter um, in midweek yeah I thought they deserved to actually well, certainly not lose get something out of that game Fabio Grosso has been uh, appointed. Um, It did look like it was going to be Diego Lopez, the former Cagliari coach. We mentioned that because Massimo Cellino, former Cagliari owner, now owns Brescia, so it's getting one of his mates in, but he's gone with Grosso. La fatto Grosso. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So we'll have to see what he can do. Grosso, who got uh, Bari into the playoffs, he got Verona into the playoffs, Verona then sacked him and went with someone else to get them promoted. <laughs> so we'll have to see with Grosso in his first job in the uh, Serie A what, uh, what he gets up to. All right. Classic stuff from uh, Chilino. Meantime, elsewhere in Serie A, there was the Turin derby. Yeah, lovely intro there too. The big game in Turin from the zone, part of their pre-game presentation, Willy Piote and Shade. Yeah, I'm not a fan of uh, Willy Piote's work generally, but mm. he, he does have a song which I think is quite appropriate for this weekend, which is Io non sono razzista ma... Okay, I'm not a racist, but... Chi dice io non sono razzista ma è una razzista ma non lo sa. Nice. Who, who, who says to you, I'm not a racist, but is a racist and they don't know it. Yeah. yeah. Do tell us about your trip to the Turin Derby. It was cold, James. Right. It was cold, it was misty. Mm. Um, and uh, it was a battle, uh, this game. Uh, it wasn't one where you'd say they played champagne football. And to, to be honest, Maurizio Sarri expected that um, because Torino in crisis mode. Um, if you look at uh, the week that they had, they'd gone to Rome, they got battered by Lazio, uh, 4-0. And when they returned to Turin, they were told that, uh, guys, collect your things. We're going to go and stay at the Doubletree Hotel in Lingotto. We're going to put on some extra training sessions. You're not going to see your families until we sort this out. And Torino, without playing particularly well, were at least competitive right. in this game, which was ultimately decided by Matthias de Ligt. 
And, and in a good way for once. In a good, in a good way, in that he got his first goal. Um, it was the first goal scored by a Dutchman for Juventus since Edgar Davids. And Edgar Davids' goal came against Torino in Damn. the derby. Um, but uh, there was a lot of outcry, particularly from Torino, about a handball offence. Mm. Um, by De Ligt, no? De Ligt has been involved in four of these in the last four games. <laughs> it's Fra- in flagrant De Ligt. Wandering hands. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, but the referee uh, and, and the video assistant referee judged it was not uh, an offence because his arm was close enough to his body and it wasn't in an unnatural position. Right, right. Um, Good goal, though. No, he took it well, I thought. Yes, and again, uh, Gonzalo Higuain came on and really made a difference. He was the, uh, the, the player who basically kept the ball in play, squared it to, to De Ligt, and, uh, and that was the only goal of the game. Sarri was on fantastic form, um, both before and after this game. He was asked by like the local Turin press, um, "You know, it's your first derby win. You must be happy with that." He's like, "Well, no, I, I won three derbies when I was manager of San Giovanese against Montevacchi, which is you know sort of Tuscan fourth division stuff, uh, which was brilliant." On, on both press conferences I went to with him, the, the the lights were really kind of strong on him, and he was like he was bent down, not looking at them, and he he eventually got them to like turn the lights away, and he said, oh, "God, it's like a Stasi interrogation." <laughs> is, is it? Nice. Montevaki, of course, famous for its Prada outlet. Is that right? Ah, now look oh, at you, nice. eh? Now look at you. Well, nah, Rafa you can say that because he's not criticizing Memphis Depay. Exactly. So, <laughs> but yeah. um, just say that Memphis was not just inspired with that outfit. That's all. But uh, best player in this game was Salvatore Sirico, the, the Torino, uh, Torino goalkeeper, mm. who made a series of, of, of brilliant saves to um, deny De Ligt in the, in the first half from a very similar situation. Uh, Ronaldo as well, later 1v1 with Aaron Ramsey, who came on uh, in this game. Um, so for Torino, it was a better performance. For Juventus, I think since the Derby d'Italia, um, before the last international break, when they were outstanding... They look a little bit tired. Things aren't going as well as they were. They're not playing as good football, certainly, um, as they were. I think partly because Pjanic, for me, was rushed back for this game after right. the, the injury he suffered against Lecce. Well, they'll, they'll all be rushing next because yeah. they've got a they've got another cold game. They've got to go all the way to Moscow to mm. take on a locomotive team that gave them a bit of a scare injury in two weeks ago. Yeah, and uh, again, I think um, their performances in that game and since then have all been fairly similar. Um, they've... Struggled to play um, as fluently um, as they did uh, against Spal and against Inter. And I think it's primarily because they've suffered a lot of injuries. That's the second cycle of um, seven games in 21 days. But mm. they are getting plays back. Douglas Costa ah. um, is back. He came on in midweek. And Sarri seems to be really excited about the prospect of him playing as a 10. Um, which, what, what about, would that affect Dybala? Well, no, because Dybala's been playing uh, alongside Cristiano. Right. Um, rather than as a so 10. two up top with Costa in behind. And the, the thing is, they've used so many different 10s um, over the last few weeks. Ramsey was the first one. Right. Bernadeschi, mm. uh, Bentancourt. Right. Um, and now there's, he wants to try Costa there, which I think would probably lead Ramsey to maybe play where Kadira has as a number eight in okay. midfield. Well, but, I mean, that could be really exciting. We shall see. So they're playing early on Wednesday away in Moscow. Also in that group, Bayer Leverkusen hosting Atletico Madrid. Briefly, Napoli in Liverpool's group, currently leading that group, are hosting Red Bull. Uh, should be some goals in that. Yeah, although Napoli really going through the motions at the moment. Um, they obviously lost uh, against Roma uh, in, a, in a big game at the weekend. And they took the lead twice against Atalanta in midweek and were twice pegged back. Um, and the club has made this decision today that they do what essentially Torino did. was like, you're going to a hotel. In Ritiro. At, in Ritiro. And you're not going to be allowed back to your house and see your family until you sort this out. And mm. Carlo Ancelotti today has come out and said, I don't agree with this decision. I think the president's wrong to do it. Um, so signs that all is not well right. um, at, at, at Napoli. Oh, a quick word then on Free Lunch FC, a.k.a. Atlanta, <laughs> who will be hosting uh, Man City, still on zero points in the group. So leaving zero, it late. For... Zero points in the group. Zero points. They're going to do a Newcastle qualify. United. They're going to do a Newcastle United and qualify after having that zero points. That would be amazing. Well, it's, not, it's not impossible because they're four points off second, but they would need to beat City this midweek and they lost to Cagliari on yeah. uh, on Sunday lunch. didn't even score this time Cagliari were brilliant and uh, okay Josip Ilicic was sent off after 38 minutes but even before that 
Cagliari had outplayed them and really surprised me. Cagliari making their best start since they actually won the title in 1969-70. Mm. Um, and it was interesting listening to the manager after the game, Rolando Moran, because he says, we learned from Man City. Yeah. Uh, we basically, we, 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 we're not presumptuous enough to think we're as good as Man City, but we looked at the blueprint that they had when they played against Atalanta. We thought, can we do something like this? And they did. And as you mentioned, James, this was the first time that the league's top scorers had not scored this season. They didn't even have a shot on goal until the 80th minute. Wow. Um, so, you know, Atalanta still without Zapata um, as well. Yeah, not maybe going into this game in as fine fettle as it looked last week when they beat Udinese 7-1. Right, well, in a second or two, an exciting final part of this European edition of the Totally Football Show. Right now, though, here's producer Ben talking to our friends at Paddy Power. Thank you very much, or danke schön, I should say, Jimbo. Lee Price from Paddy Power's on the line, and we're going to start with Germany, where Borussia Mönchengladbach have been top of the Bundesliga for a month now. Lee, can they stay there? Something's definitely happened there, but the same can't be said for our title betting. We have Gladbach at 25-1 to 1 to win the title, with our traders tipping them to finish fourth, one place better than last year. Bayern remain odds-on favourites to win the title despite that defeat over the weekend, and they even shortened a little in the betting after Niko Kovac's sacking was confirmed. They're 2-5 to five to win the Bundesliga. You can get Dortmund at 7-2 and Leipzig at 9-1. to one. OK, to the Champions League then. There won't be any Ajax fans at Stamford Bridge cheering them on, so what are the odds on last year's semi-finalist beating Chelsea? It's hard to bet against Chelsea at the minute, isn't it? And their performance in Amsterdam in the last round will definitely do their confidence no harm. Or ours, indeed. We make Frank Lampard's men 5-6 to six to win this, with Ajax a chunky 11-4, to four, the same price as the draw. Chelsea now 4-7 to, to win the group, and a massive 1-10 to 10 to go through. And finally, the Europa League. Celtic got the better of Lazio two weeks ago, so can history repeat itself in Rome? Hmm, it's a big price if it does happen. It's 4-1 to one, Celtic win in the Stadio Olimpico. The hosts are big favourites, of course. They're 8-13 to to get the win. The draw is 11-4. Despite that, Celtic are favourites currently to win Group E. It's even money they finish top of the group. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s only. Terms and conditions apply. And when the fun stops, stop. Rafa, are you excited about the Europa League this week? Yes. Very much, James. And which game in particular has got you so excited? Well, Borussia Mönchengladbach-Roma, I think, right. would be very exciting. Okay. Mm. Uh, the, the first leg between them... Was not so exciting. Uh, well, it was an outstanding performance by the uh, Scottish referee uh, <laughs> that saw, saw Roma draw 1-1, and they were very unhappy about that. Yes, because he gave a handball against Chris Smalling when it clearly hit his face. And uh, Roma, who... At that Easy moment, mistake it, to make. <laughs> uh, at least it wasn't his armpit. I mean, <laughs> but uh, Roma felt you know they had victory snatched from them. Um, and I have to say, Paolo Fonseca is doing a magnificent job mm. with Roma in very difficult circumstances. Remember, we were talking last week about them trialing Jack Rodwell um, uh, because they had so many injuries in midfield and so many injuries just all over the pitch. And yet they have won three games in a row um, since that uh, that glad back draw. Um, and they're playing really good football. Zaniolo scored four. Yeah, uh, that good, lovely goal at the weekend against Napoli. Wonderful team goal as well with Gianluca Mancini, who's a centre-back, playing in midfield. Mm. Jordan Veritu, formerly of Aston Villa, playing uh, playing well as, as well. And Chris Smalling, who's just blossomed in the last two or three games. What, a, a, his first goal for the club? Magnificent goal-line clearance yeah. as well in the Napoli game. Yeah, no, and Roma keen to make his signing permanent because right. when Smaldini they, as you were mentioning Smaldini or Smaldair for Smaldini. the uh, for the for the Roma fans but yeah I mean initially that loan uh, was just a loan there was no option um, to buy no obligation but Roma very uh, keen to take Smalling uh, to the capital on a, on a permanent basis and I think it's completely justified given the way he's been performing um, so far this season Right, brilliant. Okay, well, that's the side that will be visiting Borussia Mönchengladbach on Thursday night, a night of fixtures that will also see Dudelange, the exciting Luxembourg side that's causing shockwaves in continental football, uh, who's severe. Wolves are up against Slovan Bratislava. Lazio and their horrible fascist fans, although that's obviously not all their fans, but there were a lot of them who were parading up and down in Glasgow for the uh, first leg of that, will be hosting Celtic, while Rangers themselves host Porto. Alvaro, is there a fixture that you're particularly uh, fired up for? Well, I think that Dudelan-Sevilla is one of these games in which Sevilla uh, 
can uh, qualify mathematically yep. if they get three points. And uh, I'm really happy to see that uh, Spanish clubs are doing well in the Europa League because I think that the Europa League normally is an indicator of how good your league is. Mm. And uh, the likes of Getafe and especially Espanol, they are having a bad time in La Liga this season. And they are still, at the minute, they will be qualified for the next round. It's, um, it's a long wait till Thursday, but luckily there's some Champions League to tide us over in the meantime. And I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing you guys, Alvaro. Uh, hopefully you'll be tuning in as well. We'll, we'll catch up Thank with you, you next week. But the goal show are kicking off early on Tuesday. Of course, uh, bringing you early coverage of the Barcelona clash with Slavia Prague. That's on BT Sport 1, followed by our usual uh, merry-go-round around the grounds of all the Champions League action. For now, though, it's many, many thanks to Alvaro, Julian, to Rafa and James and producer Charlie and you, listener. Have yourself a great week of European action and we'll be back here next Tuesday to look back on it all and forward. For now, from all of us here, it's goodbye. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, please email sales at muddykneesmedia.com. Keep up to date with everything across our Totally Football network at The Totally Show on Twitter and make sure you check out our brand new website too, thetotallyfootballshow.com.